1: Welcome to the latest edition of the A List podcast. I'm the host, h Rob Blakely, with the co host, with the most, Quani TV star, oh my Lunas. Gosh. I'm just saying, every time I turn on the damn TV to NBC 10, I'm looking at Quani Lunas, Quani lunis blah, 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 Quani Lunas. What's going on, Quani?
0: I just need the listening audience to understand that he's been annoying before we started recording this. But, yes, There's I am. There's no such
1: right thing now. as me and annoying. <laughs> me and annoying don't go. We're on two completely different parts of the country, of the Wait, world. is that
0: not what the A and a Shaw Blakely stands for?
1: It, it stands for a lot of things. Annoying is not one of them. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. i tell you what is annoying to me. What is what? annoying is watching Team USA, men's hmm. basketball team, um, they're kind of annoying. Uh, I'm, 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 a little annoyed with the, the defense, the, the lack thereof, the fact that the only person who, who's playing defense at all with that team is Greg Popovich and he's mm. defending that team, which Exactly, to me, the way they play is indefensible. Um, I, I have lots of problems with them. Tatum now they beat Iran, which is not yeah. that really, that's not that big of a deal, uh, and I don't feel bad that I did not watch that game in its entirety because it was not a game that was worth watching. Yeah. in 120 one twenty sixty six is not really
0: an outcome that you no, sit down think, and you watch the entire I game mean, for.
1: The Team USA, they did. I ran a solid and gave them the first bucket of the game. And that was pretty much all they gave them. You get the first bucket, and then we were just smashing and trashing you. When you said that.
0: I ran, I just figured there's some kind of joke there that I don't know, but I got to think about it. I'll get back to you. <laughs>
1: I, I I got no jokes for them. Um, I, I don't joke about any anyone from the Middle East. Europe. No,
0: I didn't mean the. I mean like the name. Like when you say Iran, there's you know you could set up for some wordplay.
1: Yeah, that's like I can I say mean. that that Iran got ran out the gym or yeah you know, something I, to that extent. See, see, Corny, that's like Wordsmith Shiraz. Right now we yeah. talk about on air podcast Shiraz. Mm, okay, that's a different Shiraz. He didn't come to a play today. level. It's a my different bad. level of conversation we're having today, <laughs> uh, but but no, Team USA. I mean, big win over Iran in terms of the final mm-hmm. score, in terms of just really them looking more like themselves against a team that is probably one of, if not the worst team that they will face uh, during their run in the Olympics. It was good to see Jason Tatum make some shots, though. I thought that was for me. That was the most encouraging thing about all of what I saw was that him actually getting some buckets to go down. Um, but I'm still I'm. I'm still on edge with this team. I, I I don't feel good about where they are right now. I'm
0: I'm agreeing with you 100% on that one because over the last few games that they have had when they lost to France and a few former Celtics at that, it was very interesting to see that was the first loss that they had had since 2004. And I think it was okay for fans to panic because the, this is the biggest stage of the world, of sports, of anything this is what every athlete dreams to do and for them to I think not necessarily take it for granted but not to seem to taking these other teams as seriously as they should everyone else around the world looks at the USA and they're always looking for our golden no matter what sport we're playing and basketball we breed professional basketball players more than maybe any other country in the world and we have a national basketball association For a reason. So for them to be, in my opinion, lollygagging when it comes to playing seriously and trying to get this gold, I think they need to step up. And to your point, Greg Popovich seems to be the only one that has to play defense. Every press conference, he's asked, you know, are you stressed out? Are you concerned, essentially, about this team? And he clearly isn't. But the rest of the world is. So something needs to change.
1: Yeah, but I I think you, you I think you touched on something that really is a big part of why this team is where they are now. And that is they don't have that same nationalistic pride that yeah. these other players have. I mean, you talk, I mean, look, you talk about guys who are just been part of the, their national program every year for like the last eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years. And there's a different kind of buy-in that they have. I mean, you look at a guy like Luka Doncic, who his first game yeah. with his crew hits you, damn near hit, hit you with the double nickel. He, he only had, only only had 48 points. And when you yeah. watched him play, he could have probably had another five to 10 points if he really felt like he needed it. And yep. there's a different and the one thing that and just listening to different people talk about this. The one thing that jumps out to me that to me, for so many of these NBA players, it's been a blessing for them in the NBA. But it is a burden in international competition. And that is the fact that so many of them are such great individual scores that they don't really know how to play well with a team full of alphas, a team full of guys who are used to being the, the go-to guy. That's why in the fourth quarter they look so discombobulated in close games because there's no clear pecking order as to who's going to get the rock. If you are, for example, with France, you knew Evan Fournier was going to get the yeah, rock because he be had up. it going. Yeah, he's, pro- he's one of their better players. You look yeah. at you know Luca's team. Luca is that guy. You start looking yeah. at all the different countries that are competing, mm-hmm. and there's a clear one or two guys that if things get a little squirrely and you gotta mm-hmm. get a bucket, it's gonna go to either him or him. But with team USA, is it Kevin Durant? Is it Dame mm-hmm. Willard? Is it Jason yeah. Tatum? You know, and bam out of bio. He's not the go-to guy in Miami, but he comes up with he okay. made plenty of big plays. Is it Chris Middleton who just got that chip? Is it Drew Holiday, who, in my opinion, and this is kind of weird, one of the last guys to the ball, yet the only one that's balling out in a big way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so who, who's that guy that they're going to turn to? And I think Popovich, for him, yeah. again, I, he has coached teams in San Antonio, San Antonio the way most international coaches coach their national team. You got one or two guys that are your go-to players, and everyone else, you got a job, you got a role, and your role – is to be a star in whatever role you're in. But when you've got mm-hmm. a team full of stars, yeah. that's where I think Team USA has really had trouble. And I think it's gonna to lead to them reevaluating the way they construct. The national team going forward. Yeah. A few years ago, a guy like Tayshawn Prince won an Olympic gold medal, not because he was one of the top 12, 15 players in the league, but because he had a versatile skill set that fit in well with all those other superstars on the team. Mm-hmm. And I think they need that going forward. Jeremy Grant, who's on the team, I think is someone who kind of falls in that category. But the problem with him, uh, you know, he's had some, you know, obviously some was in uh, protocol for a little bit. And because there are so many damn superstars on the squad, yeah. he ain't getting no love. He ain't getting no real run. I mean, this is the Dame Lillard, Kevin Durant show, and I'm going to tell you right now, it may work in the All-Star game, yeah. but it ain't going to work on the global stage. It just won't work.
0: A recurring theme to the point you made earlier about the fact that you look at, for example, Australia, Patty Mills is playing, representing his country. All of the other countries that have NBA players They usually have one or two and those two players are allowed to step up. But as you mentioned with the United States, all of the stars are in one basket, essentially. So it is going to be tricky because to be an Olympian for Team USA, you have to be the best of the best in the country. And that's what makes it so hard because we have all of the best players on the team versus these other countries are looking to the United States and the players that happen to work there that have allegiance to their country. So I don't think that will be an easy issue to solve because the Team USA will always be selected in that way. Yeah, WNBA yeah. Team USA is a different story because we know right. that Neka yeah. is not on that team or Nigeria's team either. The first time right. uh, a WNBA MVP was not in the Olympics. Sadly. That's
1: another Yeah, that, that's well, another I'm on story. It's I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm still like low-key bothered, sort of kind of angry, yeah. feeling kind of salty about that and, and, yeah. in, in ways that I, I, I don't feel comfortable expressing because again- Because you
0: might be too angry.
1: <laughs> I might be too angry. I mean, I, I could yeah. I, I may very well be that angry black man that I hear exists out there. Um, mm-hmm. I might be that in this instance, but I tell you what I'm not angry about. And even though the NBA doesn't like it, I really don't care. I love the fact that players on the Olympic team are jockeying to create that hookup trying to figure out who because to me when i look at the 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 team usa i look at it as being in a club with a bunch of supermodels and y'all <laughs> all know y'all you know everyone in the building looks great, yeah. but it's just like who do i really want to hook up with because all of us are hot we know that we we yeah. we, we the ish of all that <laughs> that's going on but Who is the best hookup for me? And, you know, the the one that we hear associated with the Celtics more than anything else is Bradley Beal. And and I've kind of gone back and forth on on my feelings about Bradley Beal as a Celtic, and mainly because of what the price tag will be to get that deal done. Um, Today, I'm not feeling it. Uh, I'm not feeling the Brad. But I love Bradley Beal as a player. I just don't like what I would have to give up most likely to get him. Uh, you know, I was talking with someone earlier today. They, they said that, you know, one of those just, there's no way in hell this is going to happen, but this is a scenario that that they could see, uh, where you'd have Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, a couple of first-round picks, and Romeo for Bradley Beal. And, and my response was, I'm, I'm sorry, I think we got disconnected because the only Wait. thing I heard after Bradley Beal was air. And if that's all I'm getting back in return, there's no way in hell this is going to make sense to me. Or that yeah. I would want to also, do something like that.
0: Also, I'm surprised Jalen Brown wouldn't be in a package like that. It seemed as though he would have to be given up. Well, first. he would have
1: to be, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he he would actually, he would be the centerpiece. It would be, yeah. I mean, It's okay. to the point now where whenever I talk about Bradley Beal, I don't even mention Jalen Brown's name because yeah. you kind of assume that he will be part of some type of deal like that. And yeah. I, to me, It would say more about Jason Tatum's pull than Mm. Brad Stevens' ability to get deals done. Because to do that deal and include Jalen, you would do that more likely than not to appease Tatum. Yes. I don't think that necessarily makes your team – appreciably better if you add a great player like him and you lose all those other role players. Like if this was one of those years where the Celtics had, you know, they had a bunch of guys that have been real solid players under contract and you lose a Jalen, but you got someone who you can clearly pop into that that wing position, then, you know, maybe you do this deal. Like, if, for example, if let's say Aaron Neesmith had a phenomenal rookie season, um, I would be more open to moving Jalen at that point because then you could kind of see – who would fill those really big shoes? But Smith bless his heart, love the kid, love him to death, yeah. but he ain't ready for that game. He ain't ready for that moment. He may yeah. be ready by the end of the season, but he will not be ready in time to start the season to be that dude. And yeah. if he's not ready and you know Romeo ain't ready and you don't have draft picks that are going to be ready, then it's, and you may not re-sign Evan Fournier, who, by the way, is doing exactly what you're supposed to do, when you are about to hit free agency and that is give folks something to think about when they're trying to figure out how many commas does this deal really need to involve? How many Mm -hmm. digits to the left do I need to go to get this right for him? That makes it very, to me very difficult for the Celtics to feel in good faith to move Jalen when they have they don't have a sense of what they're going to look like in the aftermath of that, other than having another really good score. But does that really make you all that much better than you were with Jalen, plus all those other pieces that you're going to have to give away to bring in Beal? Mm-hmm. I, I have two points.
0: So you mentioned the pull that Jason Tatum would potentially have if that deal were to go through. I'm not sure if you saw that Instagram post where it – I don't even know if it was a legitimate report. Oh, it actually, it was a report from Marcus Thomas saying that Beale is at the top of the Warriors' wish list if he wants out of Washington. And then you go to the comments and you see Jason Tatum just drop a shamrock emoji, which of course he knew what he was doing to post that because that's going to cause controversy in itself. I so love my second, it. Right. It, you know, muddy the waters a little bit. But the second point that I was going to make is the fact that if Bradley Beal were to come to Boston, I know that Jason Tatum and him have a good relationship. They consider each other to be brothers. But does that mean Beal becomes the number one when it comes to the star of this team? Does that mean Jason Tatum no longer has the reins that everyone has essentially given him up to this point? And does that mean they can work together? Because we looked at the way Kemba Walker was able to you know, step back when it came to Jalen and Jason and really be vocal about the fact that he saw them as the future of this team. If Beal comes in, does that diminish Jason Tatum's spotlight? And, of course, that means Jalen is gone. And what does that mean for Jalen Brown's future as well? So there are so yeah. many questions that I have when it comes to the possibility of a trade like this because that really defines the future of this Celtics team.
1: Yeah, and, and the, the point you make about Beal and, and, and Tatum is, is a good one because, remember, when Kyrie arrived in Boston, it was Kyrie's team. We knew that. Yeah. But yep. the more we saw Tatum play, it was pretty damn obvious that, yo, young fella got game. Young yeah. fella might want to sit at the head of the table with you, not at, <laughs> to your side. Right. Yeah. And I do wonder whether, I don't think Bill would be like belligerent or just kind of keep Tatum in a box. My oh, bigger sure. concern would be Tatum putting himself in a box. Tatum mm. start to defer because this is a dude, not only is this a dude from my hood. That's my big he brother. He used to babysit me. Yeah. Knew me when I was just a snotty nose runt, you know, drew, you know, n- snotty nose in a winter time, had a tissue to wipe my nose because I was too I mean, little to wipe my own nose. He knows yeah. me like that. And yeah. I don't know how Tatum will handle that almost like. Kind of going back to the future. I mean, it was kind of like that when Kyrie arrived. He loved Kyrie, respected him tremendously. Both went to Duke. Both had mm-hmm. the same And Both had so many things in common, and there a was a certain reverence that Tatum had for him. And I wonder does he have that same for Bill? Who I mean, Bill is is like that. I mean, Bill is like that dude in your neighborhood that made it out and didn't forget about the people who were still there. Yeah. And Tatum, Holds on to that. And I understand why he does because that is important, particularly when you know that you have your own come up to navigate, to know that someone else has navigated before you and is willing to help you and give you advice and give you all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so now all of a sudden, when you guys are rocking with as the same team, are you going to take a step back out of respect for what that man has done throughout the course of his career? Or are you going to be that quiet assassin that can go out there and get fitty on any yeah. night? And don't exactly. give a damn who on your team don't get enough touches in that process. I wonder whether Tatum can find can he can fi- he, whether he can find that balance. Uh, yeah. And it's it's something that if I'm Brad Stevens, I would hope you're thinking about that too. Uh, in addition to all the assets that you would have to to, to give up, because to me again, it's a double edged sword. It's good that they have this long extending relationship that goes back to their childhood. But it's bad because you don't necessarily know whether they know how to manage and navigate that in a way that can be successful. And around here, you know as well as I do, it ain't about winning some games. It's about winning that chip. That's what this franchise has made their focal point. You know, this is not the Washington Wizards where if you get to the second round of the playoffs, you just might have a parade on M Street if you do that. (laughs) You just might get that, get into the second round. Around here, you get to the conference finals and it's just like – You've been in the conference finals three out of four years. When are you yeah. going to go further? When are you yeah. going to get that chip? Those are the kind of things that I don't know if a Bill Tatum tandem can elevate this team to where we're talking about that. Because remember, you start looking around the top teams in the NBA right now, and most of them have three, at least three upper echelon Superstar talents. Milwaukee is, is kind of the cheat code uh, buster in all this because they got Giannis and they got a bunch of really good players, but damn near every one of their really good players played great when they needed to. And you can't bank on that with, with a team. So because you can't bank on that, you want to you want to tilt the tilt the stands or tilt the table as much to your favor as possible. And so that's why you get a James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, or you have a Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Uh, that's why those super teams exist. I don't know if Tatum and, and, and um Bill <laughs> can do it to the point where they can be in that same conversation with those guys and be in that top tier. Uh, I don't, It won't be about effort. It won't be about ability as much as it'll be about just, do you got enough big guns? In yeah. your in your holster to yeah. battle
0: it's not impossible but I remember in college sometimes people suggest not moving in with your best friend because it might work out and be the best thing ever but it could be chaotic when you realize that that person never does the dishes so
1: right that's the same that person this. don't pay the bills when they're supposed to pay the bills <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah yeah I'm speaking some I'm, I'm spilling some tea in, into the party right now yeah that's Ooh, right he's
0: up um, tweeting somebody
1: <laughs> and they and they know who they are they know who they are I ain't gotta say no see, names. See, don't do that. <laughs> but, but, let's, let's talk just, about, I mean, yeah, yeah. But that's—I mean—that's that, a good point. You really don't know. You know, it's—it's great. It's, it's, it's like it's great when y'all at the party together. And y'all have a conversation, yeah. but when well, you gotta see them every day in your, in the space that you have to share. Yeah. Okay. Do you still like them? That's the question. Yeah. I mean, you, it was one thing when y'all were cool with each other, but now y'all gotta be like beyond cool. And mm-hmm. sometimes it ain't nah. Ain't gonna yeah. be that kind of party. Mm -hmm.
0: One of the biggest storylines coming out of the Olympics right now is Simone Biles and the fact that she withdrew from the competition because of citing herself mental health concerns. It's now being, come, I think, coming to light. A lot of Naomi Osaka, a lot of players are being very vocal about taking care and protecting their mental health. How do you feel about the fact that these conversations have become a little less taboo in our society?
1: Well, I, I, they're conversations that are long overdue. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that the issues that, that she uh, is dealing with, that Naomi has dealt with, that a lot of high-level athletes have dealt with are real. And mm-hmm. I think far too often that they just try to basically they internalize that because they know that the perception that so many have of them is this larger-than-life figure. And, you know, to to Simone's credit, she's embraced that. I mean, she has not shied away from being considered the greatest gymnast to ever compete. Uh, When you look at her championships, you look at the medals, you look at the impact, you look at the fact that she's got moves that she can do that the sanctioning bodies won't allow anyone else to do because it's too dangerous for them. Um, And and, and so she can't do them because they can't do them. Uh, That says a lot. I mean, no disrespect to Tom Brady or any other great athlete out there, but you don't see the NFL saying you can't throw that particular pass because only because Tom Brady so, can throw yeah. that pass. And none, of y'all, none of y'all can do that. You know, That's you don't see point. that in basketball where they say, you know what, we're no longer going to allow Steph Curry and Trey Young to shoot from 35 feet and Dame Little to shoot from the logo because y'all only three that <laughs> right. can do that. So we, okay. you can't do that anymore you don't see that anywhere else but in gymnastics but, but the thing about Simone that i appreciate and, and and again as someone who has dealt with high level athletes for years i appreciate when great players when great athletes know they can't be great when they embrace the fact that you your greatness it's not this it's not like 711 where it's open 24/7 365 at some point you are not going to be great and you and she had a choice. She could have either pushed through that and potentially hurt her team, which I yeah. doesn't I don't think is getting enough credit because they got a silver medal. But if she would have continued on and got progressively worse, knowing that she just wasn't where she needed to be mentally, they may have gotten a bronze. Hell, they may not have gotten a medal at all. And so having that and the fact that when she decided not to compete, she didn't just go back into the locker room and take a nap or or get or, or get on TikTok or something right. like that. She kept her ass out there cheering on her teammates, which to me said way more about her understanding of her own greatness. Her understanding that as as great as I may be, I'm not great in this moment. And I'm not gonna let my moment of not being me affect them. And to me, it's again, I I there's to me, there's this. There's so much more courage involved in embracing that, that humanity, the fact that you aren't flawless, the fact that you do have times where you've got to shut it down. And she did that. And then she realized she needed more time. And I'm perfectly fine with that. There will absolutely be people who will use that and and just say that, oh, she's just making an excuse because she wasn't very good. Here's the thing. If you know that you're not where you're supposed to be, why would you keep going on? If you know that you're you're not going to give your best, I would much mm-hmm. rather someone who knows they're not where they need to be in, from a mental standpoint decide that you know what, I don't got it today. Step back and let someone else who is in a better mental state, who is better equipped to handle the rigors of that moment, take that on. I have no problem with that.
0: I yeah, have no it's a team sport, and for her to bow out gracefully, that was what she the best she could do for her team because they ended up with silver and if she hadn't done that who knows where they would have landed if they would have placed at all so I agree with everything that you said it was very high of her to be the greatest in her sport and decide you know what I'm not where I need to be and I don't want to jeopardize my teammates and you hear her in the huddle when she says it she's like this is your first time here you have trained for this I don't want to ruin this for you go out there and do what you've been training for and that's I think what makes her an even greater athlete for her to, again, know where she was at that place mentally, physically, and let everyone else do what they wanted and do what they could to get that silver for the U.S.
1: Yeah. And and I, you I, I, I just, the, it, it frustrates me when I, when I hear people who are critical of her in that regard, uh, thinking that this makes her less than great uh, oh, as if mentioned. this has any way of impacting her legacy on the sport. And when you listen to other uh, folks in that world of of gymnastics, when you listen to other superior athletes speak about that, I know you, uh, you know, when you did your hit at NBC 10, you, you had some social media tweets from Jason Tatum and and a couple other folks who addressed that and were very clear uh, in in, in their support of, of her. I can't be mad at her for doing what was in, yeah. she felt the best interest. And it doesn't feel like an excuse because when you look at her last event and the look on her face, when she was done, it was this look like, Oh, did what something is not right with me. And it, it wasn't as if she just had a bat. She just didn't stick the landing because that happens. Gymnasts know that happens. Mm. But When you are as great as she is and understand your greatness, you also understand your weaknesses, too. You also understand when you're not in the right mental state to be great. And and, and again, I appreciate her for embracing that and not potentially making things worse. Because the one thing no one is talking about, which was one of the first things I thought about when she made the decision, was what if she decided to keep on competing? Mm -hmm. knowing the knowing the, the type of events that she does and the difficulty that comes with those events, if you're not mentally locked in, you're not only potentially hurting your team, you could potentially hurt yourself. Oh, yeah. And I'm not talking about mentally. I'm talking about physically. It's hurting
0: a dangerous yourself. sport. Yeah.
1: yes, It's a ridiculously cool. dangerous sport. Um, and, and, and so not only was she, I think making a decision that would basically insulate herself from a mental health standpoint, to get back to where she needed to be. But she was also making sure she didn't put literally put her body in harm's way by trying to forge on. Uh, That's where a lot of times the injuries that that a lot of athletes have, it's not because they uh, are being reckless. It's just that they're trying to buy completely into that. I'm just going to fight through this adversity. I'm just going to fight through this. I know I'm not where I need to be mentally, but damn it, I'm just going to fight through it. And when they get hurt, it's like, what are you going to do now? Would it would would it have been so bad for you to just kind of take a step back, get your mind right if you could at that moment, and if not, just keep your ass on the sideline? Versus, I'm just gonna fight through this and yeah. get get my ass hurt. So, so yeah. I'm 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 really proud of of Simone and, and what she was able to do and just kind of how she handled herself. And I'm also really proud of VetOnline.ag, as you know. BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. We got baseball in full swing, Pennant races are heating up. You got uh, all the tri- all the just stats and figures. Um, you know, we've got Olympic things you can bet on. We even got some prop bets that I didn't even realize exist. Like, did you know on BetOnline.ag you can actually bet on the last digits of the Dow Jones average for the day? Did not I see that is- one coming. Yeah. Did not, and, and so I'm not gonna lie. You, it's either gonna be an odd number or an even number. So you literally have you you your odds of winning are equal. So definitely look at all the different prop bets that you can check out on BetOnline.ag. Uh, and again, real updated odds and, and and props for almost anything and everything, like the last digit in the Dow Jones average for the day. Uh, it has you cover all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So. Don't forget, when you do sign up, there's a 50% welcome bonus with the code CLNS50, and you will see that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit, Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, another crew that a lot of folks are thinking about betting on, literally or figuratively, is your Boston Celtics, Cornier Lewis.
0: My Boston Celtics. There you go. <laughs> oh, you're
1: Boston Celtics. No, the, the big, to- the big talk, the big talk this this uh, last few weeks has been the second round pick from last year, Yamadar, uh, yeah. who's probably going to be on their summer league team, and and from there they'll decide whether or not that's a guy that you bring into camp, and thus you got to work on a buyout with his current team overseas, or whether you're just having play another year overseas and just kind of see where that goes. Uh, I've seen the videos of him uh, playing; looks like a good player. Um, I, and I listened to Austin Ainge, uh, you know, who's involved in scouting for the Celtics. He talked about him today, and, and and he mentioned that Yam has basically done everything that they were hoping he would do and accomplish at this point in the year that he uh, was part of the Celtics family. As far as them drafting him and what he was able to do on the court, so they're really at this point. It's just a matter of can he put together enough good games in summer league to make them feel good about bringing him over. And I got to be honest with you. I think it's a great story, mm-hmm. but if I'm trying to pin my hopes on success on a second round pick, eh, I'm not quite where I need to be mm-hmm. as a team. I've got mm-hmm. probably more questions about my team than I'm, I'm right now feel comfortable answering.
0: And this team's already young enough for you to, like you said, bank everything on a 20 year old. I mm-hmm. don't. I don't see that as being the uh, yes. He could be part of the future, but he should not be the sole part of the Celtics' future, right? At all,
1: right, <laughs> right, and right, and he, and, there's, and there'll be a lot of talk about him. But the the more I hear people talk about Yamadar, um, it, it feels like I'm watching that jagged edge song play out right before me. We ain't getting no younger, so we might as well do it. Let's just bring him over here. Might as well do it. Let's just get married to Yamadar. Right. It <laughs> was like, our
0: last resort, essentially.
1: I'm like, how <laughs> about this? I'm not sure about this. I think right. he's a guy that over time, I, when I when I've seen the videos I've seen of him, he absolutely has NBA potential. He could mm. very well be a good player in the NBA. But I think back to a few years ago, uh, there was a guy named James Young, who the Celtics okay. drafted in the lottery. Who, by the way. As, 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 as crazy and as cosmic as things can be in the world, James Young just so happens to be on the same international team as Jamadar. Ain't that a funny thing? Really? Oh, yes. is it the same team? Yeah. And their oh. stats are very similar. So I'm like, he's a different Bring player than James, James Young. Young. <laughs> he's a different player than James Young. Yeah. But production-wise, I'll he's about the same a... as James Young. And okay. that got me to thinking, hmm, He's not going to be another James Young, is he? I hope he's not. I think Yam is. I think Yam is going to be better than that. But the fact that he's coming with the kind of buzz that James had, and James was a lottery pick, so yeah. or nearly, he was taken in the middle of the first round, so he was drafted significantly higher, and there was clearly more expectations. Uh, but Yam is starting to kind of build that almost quiet cult like status for Celtics nation because they want someone to latch onto. They want some hope beyond Jason Tatum and potentially Jalen Brown, uh, because as great as Jalen Brown <laughs> was last year, it's crazy to me how he went from like ashy to classy to somewhere between ashy and classy now where they're not sure if they really want to kind of give him that, that classy, you the man, you the man, you the man, mm-hmm. you know, title, but they don't believe he's trash. Cause he's not. So, Damn. because they feel, I think a lot of Celtics fans see he's somewhere in the middle, they're thinking of ways, how can we get someone who's clearly better in our minds? And Damn. that's where the Bradley Beal stuff comes in. But I'm not convinced that Bradley Beal is clearly better. I think Bradley Beal is a better scorer. Yeah. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. But, but all-around player, Yeah, when you talk Jaylen. about, yeah, I mean, Jalen is a better defender, I believe. Yeah. but mm-hmm. And I think most people believe. Jalen yeah. is a better rebounder. I think I give the edge to Beal when it comes to scoring and passing because Bill and his yeah. passing game, Bill's passing game was, I, I think, really uh, highlighted when John Wall got hurt. And that yeah. allowed him opportunities to showcase his passing mm-hmm. game. Whereas Jalen, I don't th- think Jalen has really had an opportunity to play the role of a facilitator and get yeah. guys the ball because they needed him so much yeah. to yeah. score this year. Mm-hmm. They needed him to be more of a scorer. So I, a point. I don't – Yamadar, yeah, I think he can help. But a- a- am I am I going to go to BetOnline.ag and, and put down like a G or two on the Celtics winning a championship because <laughs> Yamadar might be on the roster? I might do that, but not because of Yamadar. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. But the cool thing, though, Kwani, and hopefully you can be out there in Vegas with me, is that yeah, are we going to record We're if, if I go summer, the summer league? Okay. And summer league, the schedule actually, the schedule for summer league is out. I know they play every other day. Uh, It's beginning on August eighth. They play on the tenth. They play on the twelfth and the the fourteenth. Wow! Exactly. And the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the summer league playoffs will be August sixteenth. So the cool thing about the Celtics, it'll just be game off day, game off day, game off day. Playoffs begin. So I'm looking forward to lots of things. Mm -hmm. Yamadar wanted him, but I'm curious. When you think about the Celtics and summer league, what are Mm -hmm. you thinking about? What do you What are you hoping to see from them?
0: It's summer league, but I know that's That's a good
1: opening line right there.
0: (laughs) But I think (laughs) it's good to be able to, especially for a team as young as the Celtics one, look at what is down the pipeline when it comes to depth on their roster you know, and beyond and really just have a sense of one, what are we looking for when it comes to the future of this team? And two, who has it right now? And I, I, again, I say it's summer league because obviously it's not the be all end all, but it is definitely very encouraging when you can look at a summer league roster and they seem to be meshing together and they seem to be, you know, spacing the floor and playing the way that you want them to, because that just says that the future of the team in quotes, is in good hands. So I'm looking to see what the Celtics roster has, what some of the rookies and sophomores are going to do out there in Vegas and and really see how they can fit into this still, I think, building, rebuilding roster uh, when you look at the, the current Celtics state because obviously there's still a lot of work to be done.
1: Well, I, I love the fact that Summer League is is in Las Vegas because when you are watching Summer League, and I've watched way more – bad basketball in Summer League than any human should ever have to. (laughs) It's in Vegas seems appropriate because Summer League is such a crapshoot when you Mm. talk about good and bad. I mean, for example, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when they first paired up together in Summer League, you could tell that they had a nice flow about them. Uh, They didn't seem like they were stepping on each other's toes. In fact, it was just the opposite. It it was like a a literal kumbaya every day they played kind of feel. Uh, you mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. And then I think back to a guy like Carson Edwards, who absolutely mm-hmm. lit cats up in summer league. And I mean, you're thinking like, damn,
0: okay, yeah.
1: Carson, I see you, boy. Yeah. And then you get to the games that start to matter. And <laughs> then we don't see summer league Carson Edwards. Yeah, We see something that's very different. Uh, and no one including Carson likes what they're seeing. Yeah. He's not making shots and at his size he's a defensive liability uh, mm-hmm. for bigger guards And so yeah. summer league I've always tried to keep in perspective to me, summer League is kind of like laying that first brick on your house. That first yeah. brick might be perfectly laid out the 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 you know just just perfectly sized and spaced out but you've got a lot of house to build beyond that damn yeah. brick. That brick mm-hmm. looked pretty, but that brick ain't gonna get this house built. You gotta put more on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why for me, I don't get too caught up in what I see in summer league. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Aaron Neesmith. I think yeah. Neesmith, if I'm gonna if I were putting money on who's gonna be the breakout Celtic this year, mm-hmm. I'm going with Aaron Neesmith. And yeah. the, the reason why I like him so much is because he's one of the few guys that you see who's relatively young gets drafted because they have a very clear and specific skill set. And yet in their rookie season, they do so many other things outside of that skill set to get on the floor. Like Neesmith is a guy who's, who came into the league as a shot maker. He didn't shoot a horrible percentage, but he wasn't nearly as impactful in terms of scoring the ball and shooting the ball as we thought. In fact, he made a much greater impact with his energy, his hustle, mm-hmm. all those kind of things that a coach like Brad Stevens and a coach like Imi you know, Udoka is going to want to see from mm-hmm. a young guy. I'm curious to see what can he do in summer league now that he's done the kind of things that's, that are going to get you on the floor. He hustles. He plays hard. He's got that covered. Now, mm-hmm. can you start doing the thing that got you drafted? Can you start knocking down shots? Can you live up to the billing that my guy Jerry Stackhouse said when he came on the A-List podcast and said, this dude is going to be an all-star? Can he do that? Can he be Chris Milton 2.0? Other than the fact that size-wise, there's a couple inches difference between them, but they went to the same high school back in the day, different times, obviously. And their skill set as far as what got them to the NBA is very similar. They make shots. I think Neesmith has the potential to be a very good player. I think he has the potential to be more than just a role player. Would not be shocked if he's in a starting lineup this year. Would not be shocked if you've got a lineup where Tatum, Brown, and Neesmith, whoever they got running a point and a big, are out there. Would not shock me because I think he's that type of player who has that kind of upside. And Summer League is a great, is a, to me, it's a great place to really find out which you might have to work with. The, one of my favorite Summer League success stories was my man, guy, T. Rose. Balling out, absolute balled out in Summer League. And then and when he came into the regular season, he continued to play with that swag. Now, did he have his moments where he wasn't very good? Absolutely. That just only makes him one of like 99.8% of the players in the NBA who have moments where they're not very good. But the confidence that he had, I thought, was steady throughout his time in Boston. And it began, I thought, with the confidence he gained through summer league. And I'm hoping that Neesmith can have that type of, uh, you know, career uh, upliftment when he's out there in Vegas to where he'll have some success. He'll start feeling good about his game. And once training camp starts, he'll build off of that. And once we get into the regular season, he will be ready to be more than just an energy guy. He can be a guy that can help this team win some games.
0: And to add to that, him and Peyton Pritchard did not really get the chance. They didn't get the chance to have a summer league last year. So right. the fact that they both will be there, I think, is very fundamental when it comes to it. It's like with the NFL when you get the training camp, and I know there's a training period with the NBA, but to be to get that opportunity to get games that don't count, but it's NBA, the pace of the NBA, the style of the NBA, so that you're get is like a, a orientation, and they didn't get that. So for them to have it. This year, I think, will really be crucial to helping them figure out what their growth is going to look like in the league, specifically when it comes to the Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah. And, and another person that's probably going to be out there is whoever yeah. the hell they take at number 45. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Round exactly. picks. And it's it's funny because, I mean, for uh, I, I'll, full disclosure, for the longest time, I used to crap on second round picks thinking there's a reason why you're a second round pick. You ain't good enough to be a first-round pick. I was absolutely in that camp. And then you got guys like Chris Middleton. Then you got guys like Jay Crowder. Then you got guys like Isaiah Thomas. And the list, Draymond Green. The list goes on and on about second-round picks who came in and made an immediate impact that proved that where you're drafted is not where you're going to be in the grand scheme of things. That's your starting point. By no means does that determine how far you can go and how Quickly, you can elevate your play and more importantly, the play of your teammates and the team that you're playing with. And so I don't know what the hell the Celtics are going to do at 45, other than the fact that I, I do believe they're going to draft that player. And I don't believe it'll be a draft and stats. I think it's someone that they are going to look forward to having on their roster, because when you start looking at the, the Celtics team, they've got to get just better talent. And I do think that there will be some there will be one or two guys that will slip into the second round that they're going to have a shot at drafting. And so I'm I'm looking forward to um seeing what what they do with that pick. But I mean for I mean you you you've seen enough of, of basketball around around here. What what would you, what's a realistic expectation that you would have for someone taken in the second round?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question.
1: <laughs>
0: someone that can shoot. I know that's such a corny kind of cop out answer, but Let's say that Jalen gets traded and Beal comes in and obviously Beal and Tatum can shoot as well. But I think either someone that can shoot, maybe a really young facilitator, which I don't think I don't see that happening because I think that leadership role will probably end up being, you know, something that Al Horford takes on on the floor. But they definitely just need someone that can, you know, be ready when they need them, when they call him up and just put up some points, whether that's in the paint, whether he's just, a you know, a deep three shooter. They just need someone that can score because we saw it this past season that a lot of times they were losing these games just because they didn't have an extra hand that was willing to just take the ball and put it up. So I'm not sure who ends up in the second round to do that. But if I was going to say, Danny, if <laughs> GM Brad Stevens can find one, then he should pick him up as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, like, we and we talked about a little bit earlier about Carson Edwards. He was kind of supposed to be that guy, uh, yeah, that exactly. shot maker off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, and that obviously has not panned out. And And is, is there still time for him to turn it around? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. he could go and, and have just an amazing kick-ass summer league or, or yeah. training camp and just shut Sherrod the hell up and shut <laughs> everyone up. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I would yeah. love for him to do that. I would absolutely yeah. love for him to do that. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't. I, I just, I, I hope I'm wrong on that. Cause he's a great kid. I, I he's an, he's, you like him. He's someone that you absolutely want to see do well, but what I want and what I see are definitely not the same when it comes to mm-hmm. him. Um, yeah. But I want to talk about the new coach, coach, coach you doka Look at that quantity smile. I see you coach me along. Wow. Now you want me to smile. Okay. See <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you a question, though, because he, he's walking into a situation that is very unique. Uh, he has not one, but two young all-stars, which is something very few coaches walk into. He's mm-hmm. with an organization that doesn't just talk the talk about winning championships. It's literally what they do. They've done yeah. it more than there's not a single team in league history that's won more championships than them. So, you know where their head's at from the jump. Mm-hmm. And. You from the outside you're thinking that's a ridiculous amount of pressure on, on a first year coach who's never done this thing before, who's never been the head coach of a team. What for you would you consider like a realistic expectation from Udoka? This is gonna sound so Boston
0: media of me. Oh but lord. But realistic I know, but realistic expectation, I think it's still the Eastern Conference Finals. With the roster that they had last year and the year before, if and i I'll, I'll put the caveat of depending on what move Brad Steven makes before the season start, whether that means the draft or somehow finagling the roster. But we've kept, we've been saying this for I feel like for five years at this point that this team has potential to make it. I don't know why my earring just fell out of my ear to, that my earring agrees that this team has the potential to make it that far when when you look at the landscape of the league. And I know Milwaukee is still at the top of the the NBA at this point, the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that it's a given, but they are competitive enough. They have the drive. They have two young, as you mentioned, all-stars who have been on that stage already. So for Ime to, one, have the two all-stars that potentially will be on that roster when he starts, but also we look at his experience being under coach Popovich he's in Tokyo right now with that one of those all-stars that we mentioned Jason Tatum so he's getting the opportunity to figure out what his star is like how he plays what he needs to do when it comes to the season he's getting enough prep time I think that when the season starts he'll be able to figure out this roster again with whatever pieces that he has and work with the knowledge that he's learned or gained from coach Popovich and really build, and if not this season, then definitely within the next few years because I don't think it will take that long for him to rally up a team. It seems like a lot of NBA players respect him, and I think that's also a really big factor when it comes to being able to rally a team all the way to that stage, and I'm not saying, I think that he can do it.
1: Well, here's, here's the thing, um, and my expectations are, at a minimum, find a way to win the division, Find a way to, to win the division because if that means you've guaranteed yourself home court advantage, and I would love to see what the Boston Garden, with the TD Garden cool. looks like in yeah. a playoff where those fans have not been able to really fully consume a postseason like they're used to in a minute. So mm-hmm. that's going to be off the chain. Now, here, here's why I think this is going to work out better than people expect. I have seen up close what happens when a very good coach is replaced because you need a different voice. You need a different type of culture. When when I was in Detroit, Rick Carlisle, who everyone knows, I freaking love me some Rick Carlisle. Um, Love Rick Carlisle to death. Had nothing to do with him being a Celtic and everything to do with the fact that I think he's just a hell of a coach. His first year in Detroit, his team at best – was like five, ten games outside of being a playoff team. They should have been absolute trash. Rick won 50 games that year, the best coaching job I've ever seen anyone do. And he had another good year after that. But here's the thing. At some point along that road, they realized that he's not going to take us any further than what he's done. He's done a great job, and he's given us a chance to be relevant again. But this is pretty much, you know, as, as boys and men would say, the end of the road, end of the road. And so this, the Pistons decided we can let go. We can let go. And they did. They fired him. They brought in Larry Brown. They won a title that first season. And it kept basically that, that core group intact for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now can, can, Mr. Udoka, Coach Udoka, do that? I still need to talk to him to figure out what does he want to be called because as our good friend Deion Sanders made it perfectly oh, clear, yeah. coaches yes. like oh, to I'm be cool. some things and some like to be called some. And we found out the same thing with, with Coach Malone uh, in, in Denver who does not like to be called, you know, Mikey Malone. It's Michael. It's okay. Michael, um, which that's another bullshit story for yeah. another day. He was wrong for what he did. He was wrong for what he did in that instance, but that's another story. But anyway yeah. – my, my my point is is this: sometimes, in order to get what your ultimate goal is as an organization, which for Boston is to win a championship, you have to let a good coach to decide to bring in a great fit, and and that doesn't and, and that doesn't mean that that Udoka is a better coach than Brad, but he may very well be a better fit for this team to get to where they want to get to, and the relationships that the relationship that he's building with Jason Tatum is huge. Uh, that is going to play. I I love the fact that Jason Tatum feels comfortable enough with him already to bag on him when he's trying to guard him in practice, in in Team USA. Jason, like, you know, he he really has some trouble guarding me. Uh, And he says it's a fly smile. And it may not seem like that big a deal to most people, but I'm telling you, you don't hear players really talk about new coaches that they're around like that too often. Uh, It speaks to the level of comfort that they are establishing with each other. And, again, to your point, Kwani, when you talk about, you know, Yudoka's past experience – He's been with San Antonio teams that had to grind in order to be a championship contender. He's been with a team like Brooklyn that had all the championship, the big three. I mean, maybe the the greatest big three in the modern era in terms of talent, in terms of where they are in their careers. We may have seen that last year with the Brooklyn Nets. And he knows what that of pressure feels like when everyone is expecting you to win a championship and what happens when you don't get it done. Mm -hmm. So, All of those experiences are going to help shape how he handles adversity in Boston because he's going to have some, whether it's a three, four game losing streak, whether it's a key player getting hurt, whether it's, you know, an issue that he has with a player, something or some things will come up and he's going to have to deal with them and he's going to have to figure out a way to navigate through them. And he's going to do what most of us do when we're in positions of leadership is lean on the experience that we have, lean on what we've learned along our journey to help us continue along. Our journey. I'm excited about yeah. him this year. I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that I think he is going to do better than people expect. I think the, the expectation level among Celtics fans is not high because they're looking at Brooklyn. They're looking at the champs in Milwaukee. They're, they're looking at, you know, Rick Carlisle in Indiana. You know, Indiana's going to be better now that Rick is there. Uh, you don't know really what to make of Toronto, but they are who they are. Uh, Chicago shows some signs, but they kind of falter. So you're not really sure what they can do. There's, there's at least four five, six different teams that, and we're not even talking about the Miami Heat uh, who are you know always going to be tough and, and grimy, gritty type teams. You don't really know where they're going to fit in that pecking order, but I think with Udoka, you've got someone who has the kind of experiences that can help him figure out pretty quickly how to compete. Because that's the thing that, as a young coach, you have to figure out from day one. How is my team going to compete? Because we may not win as many games as I want. But damn it, we can control how we compete. And damn it, we can control how we challenge other teams to beat us. We, if, we're going, if we're going to lose a game, make it so that they won the game and not that we lost. That has to be part of the blueprint for, for Yudoka when he comes in here. So I'm expecting them to be I, – I expect them to win the division. And we're not even talking about Philadelphia. Um, yeah. But Philadelphia, I think the process is about to be reprocessed into something that's gonna look very different than what we've seen Ben Simmons if he's coming back I don't know how that's gonna work for them unless he just unless the doc can do what no other coach on any level has been able to do with Ben Simmons and that's convincing him to take an open jump shot more than one a game because he gets at least 10 15 opportunities every game hell take one brother we ain't ask you we're not asking you to raise up like you Ray Allen but don't be shy to shoot like you Alan Ray who played for the Celtics back in the day. Take your shot. Scare money don't make none. Come on. Whatever you want, however you want to phrase it, be better than what we've seen. Except, but Celtics are like, yes, except when you play the Celtics. Exactly. So, huh. now.
0: Great conversation.
1: Yeah. So here's, here's my other thing, though. Um, and I, I was thinking about you when I saw this. Uh, Just because it involves our good friend Javante Green, what's up to me? <laughs> because you were because you used to always be around the locker room. Yeah, he's doing
0: the best content. Uh, yes, yes, was,
1: exactly. That that's yeah. my point. He's great okay. for folks who are in the locker room gathering content. Javante's yeah. like that dude, and so Jason Tatum kind of low key tweeted something to the or yeah. not tweeted but IG about you know running it back. So, obviously. You would, you would, you have no issue with Javante coming back because he—he's a content creator's dream. For the job's sake, Javante works. For me, he's going to work. If he comes back, he damn sure going to work for me. I don't know about you, Quan. In fact, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't be working for you. He will work for me. I will be more than happy to to collect the Javante content. Okay. I have no problem.
0: I was hoping that the crickets would have started cricketing when I was went silent, but they did not. <laughs> <laughs> Basketball wise.
1: Well, let I me just, shift the question. Quanny. Let me shift the yeah, question. Who's the no. one player that you would like to see them run it back with? Who's the one player that that's within the last two or three years, been on a roster that you I'm like gonna to see
0: them? surprise myself by saying this, even though I know I'm about to say this. Jay Crowder.
1: Good, good call. That's a, I was actually I had a conversation with someone about that earlier today when I was thinking about this question and they and they said the same thing Jay Crowder oh, wow. um, yeah. why would you why would you want to run it back with Jay
0: because I <laughs> like other people did not see the Jay Crowder the Phoenix Suns Jay Crowder when he was in Boston and I'm not sure. If it was the chip on his shoulder of getting traded over and over again, I'm not sure who that was out there in the NBA Finals. But after seeing him play the way that he did, I could see him coming back to Boston, not only with the experience now of being in the NBA Finals, but also the growth that he's had with his game. And we talk about having a facilitator or someone that's just willing to step up. We saw him do that a bunch of times. During the NBA Finals and, and throughout the playoffs overall, so for him to come to Boston, I could actually see that working out where he could, you know, work on this team. I mean, I don't know chemistry wise, personality wise, how it will work, but I think on the floor he does have some skill sets that the Celtics still do have a really big gap with right now. So I didn't really thoroughly think this out, but there are parts of his game that I that again his evolved game that I think could fit into Boston.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, the, the the worst the thing I hate is the fact that – and I, I'm happy for Jay because when he signed with Phoenix, it was like a three-year deal. So mm-hmm. Phoenix, they got him at a great price. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. no way in hell that they would be looking to trade him unless they're getting <laughs> like – You know, an Anthony Davis, a Jason Tatum, uh, you know, someone who's just going to move the needle, and that ain't going to happen because he would then be part of the deal. He wouldn't be the centerpiece. But you're right, though. I mean, Jay, what he did with Phoenix this year, what he did with Miami last year, he really showed that there's more to his game than stats. To me, one of the most telling games for him was in the playoffs this year where he took, I think it was like eight shots, and he missed all eight shots. He made mm-hmm. one free throw yeah. and his plus minus when he was on the floor was better than anyone else who played in that game. So even mm-hmm. though he wasn't making shots, he was making an impact. And yes. I'm not a big exactly. plus minus fan because I think a lot of times the numbers are bogus, Right? you miss every damn shot you take and your and you team is up team plus better? 19 when you're on the floor and you miss every damn shot. Something is happening that's right when you're playing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so – he, he absolutely would be, you know, someone that I would love for them to get back. Hell, they would love to have him back uh, because he yeah. really has, I, th- I think, in the last two, three years, he, I think, has really redefined the narrative about who he was. Before Jake was a good second-round pick, can help you, is like borderline starter slash key reserve off your bench, nice guy. And yeah. now he's seen as a guy that can actually help you win at the highest level. That's, the, that's how he's being defined now when you look at how Miami went from where they were and got all the way to the finals in a bubble. You look at Phoenix, who was on the outside of the playoff, even outside of the damn playing game last year looking in, and how they went from that to being two wins away from a championship. And Jay had a, a significant role in that. Even if the numbers don't back that up, his presence, uh, his leadership, all those intangibles uh, were, were prevalent. And, and certainly when you think about the Celtics, and you think about what their needs are, to your point, Kwani, he checks off a lot of boxes. And remember, this is another guy that played for Brad. So you'd, so yeah. you'd have a guy that is very familiar with the well, man who's throwing shots. But yeah. we've just probably spent about six, seven minutes talking about Jay, and there's no way in hell he's coming to Boston other than the two yeah. times okay. that he comes <laughs> with whatever team he's <laughs> playing for. But I enjoy, I enjoy talking about Jay because, I, again, yeah. I, I love to see guys go out there and show – that there's so much more than, than maybe people thought they were. And mm-hmm. when they're given that opportunity, and that's the thing. Yeah. I, and when I talk with Jay about this, that's the great thing about him and why when he first came into the league and he was in Dallas, it was kind of frustrating because he wasn't yeah. getting no burn. Yeah. And when he played, he did okay, but he didn't get enough burn to where you could, real, you could really get a sense of how good he could be as a player. And when he came to Boston, you know, he was a good player. But yeah. his timing was bad from the standpoint of, there was another guy at his position who had a connection to the head coach that was way deeper than yours. And if you're talking about all-around game, no disrespect to Jay, but Gordon Hayward, when he was healthy, was a better player. It's, and that's no, that's no shade on Jay. Gordon is a really good player. And they had a chance to get him. And Jay was hot about that, which I get, I understand. And and Jay's best game, I think, that year was when they played Utah and for, for Gordon. So I am not mad about him for taking that. That shade. might be the
0: chip that he has on his shoulder because at at present day, and I know it's unfair to Gordon because he's injured now. Jay Crowder is obviously the better player at this moment. So I wonder if that's always been lingering in the back of his head that you know that the you know the chanting in Boston the. Being accused of injuring Gordon Hayward, that back and forth. Honestly, he might not even would want to come to Boston now that Brad Stevens is the GM. I don't know right. if that what that relationship would look like. Right.
1: I'm gonna disagree with you on on the on the Jay's a better player. I think Jay is a better leader, uh, because he's given opportunities to lead. But if you're mm-hmm. talking about what Gordon can do even now versus what Jay can do on the floor, I'm gonna take Gordon. I'm but gonna really? take him because because here's the thing that Gordon does as a player that Jay doesn't. Gordon is an exceptional facilitator at his position. Uh, okay. He can actually run my offense at 6-8, recognize mixed That's matches cool. and get guys above. Mm-hmm. Jay does not do that. And this I, I don't true. think it's I don't think it's necessarily because Jay can't do it, it's just that if I'm playing He's with Devin Booker, yeah, yeah, If I'm playing with Gordon Dragic back in Miami, I mean, if I'm playing with Jimmy Butler, they're better at that than me, so I'm not going to get that opportunity. Um, Whereas a guy like Gordon, yeah, Gordon's going to get that opportunity wherever he goes because he's better than or as good, or if not better than most of their playmakers at his position. So um, I would take Gordon there. Just saying. Okay. Okay. Now, Kwani, this was good. It was. This was so. I'm thinking though, because we got to wrap this up. At yeah, some point we've been talking tonight. for a while. I, I, well, I hope the people didn't stop listening at this point. <laughs> they're still here. They're still here. I can feel it. I can feel it. But <laughs> we and we touched on this a little bit earlier when, when we are just kind of talk about some of the things that, that uh, you know, you got going on. We talked about Tatum and, and some of the social media stuff that he said as it relates mm-hmm. to uh, Simone. And, and that was part of something that you're doing at NBC10. Now. So I want you to just talk, talk to people a little bit more about what that's about.
0: Yes, so this week, NBC10 Boston relaunched a show that they already had called The Hub today, but the rev- revamped version is more localized, it's live, and I am a part of it, I'm a regular on the show, so if you have a TV or you can stream, stream as well. <laughs> so really, you have no excuse to not watch, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays at 1130 on NBC10Boston. Again, if you're not local, you can actually still stream it on our website, NBC10Boston.com. There's a link on the Hub today. There's like a drop down for the Hub today. Or you can just go to my Twitter account and catch me live. I've been doing Olympic updates as of now, but eventually I'll just be doing... A, I'm going to pitch a lot more other stories to pitch. So, you can catch me. See me more of this wonderful thing. Oh,
1: Lord. This <laughs> is just sure a really that? Play. We yeah, just did. did that, y'all.
0: The people again. If you're listening, then you need to be checking out the YouTube version as well because I have a lot
1: yes. of facial expressions. Yes, corny, <laughs> pulled out the went into her bag with the facial expressions there. Right, right. My folks from yeah. Jersey, I love y'all to death, boy. I love y'all to death. I love y'all to death. Well, I will not be on MVC Ten doing anything <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, but what I will be doing. Uh, it's just continuing just all season coverage with Bleach Report and Ebony.com. Uh, I'll also be in Las Vegas for Summer League, which I'm looking yeah, forward to. I love, love me some Summer League. Uh, so I will definitely be providing additional content there. And a couple other things I'll be getting into between now and then. And that's pretty much it for me. I'll be doing a little bit of Boston Sports Journal uh, for a little while longer and, um, you know, just kind of staying busy, keeping active and keeping engaged and keeping on top of these Celtics because they're going to have yeah. a very, I think, interesting and unique summer. A little bit different yeah. than than what they've had in the past, but but changes, sometimes change is a good thing. Uh, and yeah. I, I think for the Celtics, the changes that they've made in terms of their management structure, I think some of the changes we'll see with the roster. I think at the end of the day, it will be uh, for the best that they, they shake things up a little bit. So, mm-hmm.
0: Well, that was a great podcast. Thank you for everyone who listened to the end because
1: it was worth listening to. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 And, and we, didn't even, always, and Connie, we yeah. didn't even get into like any of the the, the nonsense that I was hoping that this uh, this podcast will be similar to what we did last week when Connie was in her car. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the hell out the of it.
0: this podcast after dark,
1: <laughs> literally. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Ooh, in the have-
0: streets of downtown Boston. Wow, we need to do a live podcast though, for real. Well, not live, but you know, yeah. with people.
1: Nick Gelso, get on it.
0: Yes, come on now. What are we doing? <laughs> I'm kidding, exactly, but not kidding. Also, I have to give one more shout out to our sponsor, Bet Online AG. Sharad already told you there are prop bets for everything. So if you're trying to make some money. And you want to test your luck, make sure you sign up using our code CLNS50. You'll get a bonus. And, again, tag us. Use the hashtag betonline and see how much money you can make. And no one has tagged me to the, up until this point. But if you do win big, let me know so I can shout you out on the podcast.
1: See, people are funny about when they get some money, though. You know, I know how Yeah, I mean, it's just like,
0: oh, I won, I won, like I won. won. they in the bushes. They just. <laughs> yeah.
1: They keep that money in their pockets. Yeah. I get it.
0: I respect it. You know what? You don't even have to tell me. Just keep subscribing. Keep listening. <laughs> telling your friends about the podcast. That'll pay off That's us. all we want.
1: Keep <laughs> yeah. your money. You can keep your money.
0: <laughs> exactly. But
1: keep, keep the support coming, though, because we definitely love it and need it and, and, and want it. So,
0: Yes, seriously. Thank you so much for listening. For Asheron Blakely, I'm Quanee A. Lunas. This is the A-List podcast. Thank you so much for listening.
1: We out.